Welcome to another episode of Paul Tom Power, Power Systems Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Chris Reynolds. He's a technical manager over at AVX, and we're going to talk about uh, passives, because uh, for all the attention that people put on the microcontrollers and the logic, which, I mean, is justified in a lot of cases, there's a lot on the board that's very, very important to the functioning of a circuit. Isn't that right, Chris? Welcome to the show. Hello, Alex. Yep, that's absolutely right. Uh, what we're seeing is um, expanding in all directions. And uh, today I think we'll be talking about uh, some of the, if you like, the consumer level, high volume uh, requirements that are coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a tr- when you think about the Internet of Things, there's been this massive explosion in personal devices and intelligent subsystems because the Internet of Things isn't just the smartwatch, it's also the smart toaster or the smart washing machine. And all of those embedded intelligent subsystems need intelligent systems and need high-quality passives and very, very tight, precise uh, tolerances and, and let's not even forget about size. Yep, absolutely. Um, what we've seen, and um, we've seen some of the power shows lately, how we're going in one direction, higher temperature, under hood, wide band gap solutions, uh, downhole. And the other side of the coin is at the consumer level, wearable electronics and uh, uh, all of those type of systems are needing mm-hmm. more and more uh, high capacitance devices at low voltage over a more consumer-friendly temperature range. You don't need the high temperatures for, for a wearable device. And a lot of the Internet of Things and uh, normal domestic communications. So we also have um, products that we're just releasing that maximize the raw capacitance that you can get um, over a, a, a you know, 50 centigrade to 85 centigrade range without going up to the high temperatures. And that's exactly what's needed for these uh, new generations of low-voltage processors, FPGAs, that require low-voltage digital, but with huge current availability for the switching rates. And uh, and again, the volumes that we're talking about, if you think of a a node as being a a person-to-person communication, cell phone or something, you know, we're talking about toaster to um, grid communications. So the the number of nodes for all these inanimate inanimate participants is going to go up exponentially. (laughs) Hang on, I'll just put my teeth back in. (laughs) Not a problem. Well, and that's the other thing is that we are just chasing and chasing and chasing because we're rapidly moving towards, it's going to be almost like a mesh network. We're not even talking about, I'm calling it the revenge of the thin client, you know, all the server power used to be in the basement and the clients were just terminals. Now the clients are insanely smart, but there's still huge servers in the basement. Yep, absolutely. And uh, a lot of these devices, um, the, the, some new products that we have out go into the super small size uh, that are just being released down to some new uh, tantalum devices, for example, that we have going down to 0201 for this type of application. Now, I mean, oh, how small can we get in the pick-and-place machines 
Yeah, that, this has been this has been the trend over the last twenty years. You know, for when multi-layer ceramics and, uh, and similar resistors first came on the scene, uh, 0603 was really small. As soon as you have to look at them through a magnifying glass, that's kind of a human uh, level. And what we've done then is come out with smaller sizes, 0402. Uh, when the 0201 first came out for ceramics, people thought it was kind of a joke. It was just going to scare people into being more comfortable with the 0402 uh, and the thought has been at each stage in the evolution why go to smaller parts and why not have capacitor arrays you know so you're using a similar footprint but have more functionality and more caps well the discrete solutions are so um, flexible they've just gone along down to 0201 01005 tantalum is uh, a different technology to the ceramics. It really does maximize the capacitance and it's used in lower frequency applications. And it's the bulk storage cap that holds up a lot of the others. So for every 10 ceramics, you might use uh, one tantalum. But traditionally, it's been a much larger outline part compared with the uh, uh, ceramics. So we came up a number of years ago with our microchip approach, which actually got rid of a lot of the external casing on the tantalum. So 90% of the volume is the raw tantalum anode, and that really lets us make down to the similar sizes. So while ceramic came out with 0603, 0402, and 0201 um, you know, over the years, the tantalum followed being able to duplicate those sizes uh, within a, a matter of a few years. And the interesting thing is the tantalum can actually produce higher capacity in those sizes, more capacitance than even the high CV X5R ceramics. So it's, uh, it's a great product as we go into uh, more, uh, more and more uh, FPGA, uh, ASIC type applications at low voltage in very, very small type volumes. And geared towards maximizing this over a, a, a more consumer-friendly temperature range, uh, it's a trend that's, that all passives are doing now to actually go along with what the, uh, uh, the enabling technology needs are for the, the silicon side of the equation. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, ironically, my uh, column in the March issue, uh, my, the, the, my final word, I, I semi-jokingly talk about laundering e-clothing. I don't, you know, it's, it's not so much the temperature range that's a problem with human electronics. It's the fact that we're smelly, greasy, sweaty, dirty animals, and the equipment's got to be rugged against that. The thermal yep. ranges, as you point out, aren't that critical, but it better be moisture resistant. Yeah, and that's another plus for a lot of the uh, solutions that we do have. Uh, at the component level, uh, the, uh, the the tantalum microchip is still a fully encapsulated device. It's in, it's an epoxy, the equivalent ceramics. As you know, ceramic is just like um, uh, the, the, the brick. So uh, they're pretty humidity-friendly as well. So uh, all these technologies are good for um, uh, high-humidity-type applications that you see in in everyday. Um, In fact, one of the things is the constructional materials we use for these parts are no different than the ones we use for some of the automotive parts, where you're talking about that humidity at much higher temperature levels. Um, We're talking Mm -hmm. about these parts over a normal... um, uh, you know, day-to-day range of temperatures, and the humidity is uh, is not such an issue. Exactly. Well, 
and and it, it's it all, it also depends on the application space that the device is deployed in. You know, uh, a smartwatch is going to get a lot less uh, sweat than say a sports uh, heart monitor band. Yeah, but you're always going to take it into the swimming pool when you don't expect to. <laughs> and so, and we're seeing that now with a lot of devices, cameras and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can take them. They'll keep them down there for too long, but they are safe if you do go underwater, you know. So. <laughs> I think that's being, I think that's with the lifestyle people are recognizing um you know once you put something on as a wearable you're going to forget about it and leave it there and, and that's yet another issue that the industry is going to have to deal with but for the time being we'll keep it into the realm of the passives and the issues around the size and the performance mm-hmm. um what are do you see this as more of an evolutionary pressure with the new sizes or do you see it as enabling a new generation of technologies because now you can make them that much smaller. Well, what happens is every now and then you come across something that is, um, uh, you know, truly revolutionary. And then once mm-hmm. that step's been made, you get evolution within that step. The, the Tantalum microchip that we had was truly a revolution in the constructional method and the way you actually put a Tantalum together. And once that change had gone into place, then it followed its natural evolution path down to higher density, higher capacitance, and smaller size. So every now and then through the industry, you'll get a step function occur. Those step functions don't occur so frequently, but even when they do, the evolutionary process to get more and squeeze more into smaller packages still continues. And uh, for tantalum, for example, using finer and finer powders that are suited to low voltage applications, um, you know, the trend to getting down to the nanoscale is a continuing trend with the powder types that we're using and there's no end in sight of that it's uh, there's no there's no brick wall we're going to he- end up hitting anytime in the near future so that that will continue that roadmap will continue agreed agreed so um now as you were saying tantalum's different than ceramic but if they've been around long enough that the engineers know how, how to use the devices there's not a learning curve here is there no, no, not at all. Uh, the, the only thing is that, um, uh, for example, with the tantalums, you you like to keep them uh, pointed the same way in the circuit. They're polar devices. Uh, but even then, um, now with the very high-density, high-CV ceramics, especially now we're handling ripple currents, you don't want them to be handling ripple in reverse either because uh, they, they heat up less if there's a bias on those as well. So even ceramics as well as tantalums, uh, you know, for the high capacity types, tend to be using forward bias circuits. So there's less to differentiate them. And now with the polymer type of materials in the tantalum uh, uh, and the face-down type of uh, construction, you're using less real estate on the board as well. So, uh, uh, again, this is all going to aid uh, smaller and tighter density packaging. Agreed, agreed. Now, um, as far as that goes, do you see a downward limit? Do you, do you see it eventually becoming that you're going to manufacture resistor capacitor arrays that are monolithic or, you know, that they're then even smaller components within a larger uh, device or... They're just going to get tinier and tinier and tinier okay. until the pick-and-place machines are using, you know, bumblebee straws to pick up the parts. 
yeah, or uh, or using uh, nanoparticles to distribute them onto a PCB. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> every stage, every stage, every couple of years, we have exactly the same um, uh, discussion. Uh, we can make arrays, and people can use more arrays, but. Most designers just like the flexibility. Now, arrays do come into their own for special applications. Say if you have a couple of caps uh, that are tracking a crystal and you want them to behave identically over temperature and uh, humidity and everything, the fact that you've got two caps in the same package that were sintered in the same part of the furnace means they track perfectly. So there are certain applications where the arrays really benefit the application and they're always used in that type of application, but they don't expand out of there because if people can use a discrete cap and just plonk it there on the circuit, they'll just do that. They, they, they want the flexibility more than they want the, uh, uh, the, the, the handling. And they will put the onus on the, the board manufacturers to say, hey, just make, it, make this only use it, make it smaller. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no, and for the over the next five years at least, we don't see any brick walls there. They're going to stop that. With ceramics now, we have the 01005. Um, I mean, when you go below the 0402, you know, you're talking about uh, sand particle size or salt particle size. Now you're getting into, um, you know, bits of sand or bits of salt, and yet they're right. They're complete integrated multi-layer devices down to that nanoscale. And, and, and how do you tell if it's tombstoned then? How, you know, it's like the assembly is definitely uh, trickier. Oh, tombstoning is easy to tell. Uh, you, you won't the well, on a grain of sand, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, you, but the, thing, the days are long gone of human visualing uh, any type of circuit level defect. Uh, when you think of um, you know polarity striping on capacitors and the visual recognition, those cameras now go um, go as fast as a pick and place head to do the authentication, right. and uh, the human elements pretty much taken out of it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I was kind of joking about the size yeah. there because uh, yeah. I've been to my share of fabs. But it is, it's fascinating, though, when you think about it, that we're, we've literally reached the point where we need the machines to make the machines because the f surface features have gotten to the point where human perception cannot deal with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a fascinating topic, and I'd love to keep going on about it. But unfortunately, this is a podcast, and we do have a time limit. But before I let you go, Chris, I always let my guests have the last word on my show. It could be a little bit more about the tantalum line at AVX, or it could be about the market, or it could just be a tip for the audience. But the floor is yours. Okay. Well, thanks, Alex. But, um, yeah, again, if you look at the history of the, the, the cat we've been talking about today, the microchip in tantalum, um, that was a good revolutionary process. And while we're talking about the consumer side of it, it's equally scalable for, we do them high rel for satellite applications for space now. It was a, a CWR15. It was the first new high reliability tantalum that uh, uh, DLA have approved in, uh, in, in, in many years. So uh, we've just seen a healthy trend in all of this use with polymer now and with the sister niobium oxide systems, which are uh, pretty much fail safe especially at this level of voltage, um, where we're just seeing these parts become fit and forget. And uh, they're there to support the, um, the, the silicon solutions that are, that are just going to be shaping you know, the world of tomorrow. <laughs> and that's what I love about what we do is we're literally shaping the world of tomorrow as we go along. Yep, that's, 
that's what we paid for. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, and, and, and hopefully all of our audience is very well paid for all of this uh, creativity because I'll tell you what, I totally appreciate what they do. Yeah, yeah. Same goes to you, yeah. There you go. So, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show, and we'll definitely bring you back at another time. But unfortunately for now, we are done, but thank you. Well, again, take care, Alex, and thanks for the invitation for today, and uh, take care. Oh, the pleasure is mine. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul on Power. Have a great day. <laughs>